Hey, this is Glenn, and today on Infants on Thrones, I sit down once again with psychotherapist Josh Neal. I can't put up with being a coward anymore. To continue a series of reflective discussions about what our ongoing experience with the Mormon faith crisis has been teaching us about our own mental health, vulnerability, authenticity, acceptance of reality, and the power that we all have to create emotional well-being through all of it. I can't cope with abandoning my own original thoughts anymore. I am disgusted by it. I'm sick of it. I want to stand by my own fucking original thoughts and own them. They don't have to be right. They don't have to be perfect, but they're mine. And I'm not going to deny them. And that's a beautiful human act. It's accepting your own generative creative process and standing by it and not letting anybody they can have whatever fucking reaction they want, but you don't necessarily abandon your own self anymore and hide it and be ashamed or anything. I'm saying what I want while I'm afraid of being castigated and kicked out. That's where I'm at, you know? Yeah. What I'm saying might offend you. What I'm saying might be upsetting. It might not be what you want to hear. I might let you down. In other words, I might be human, but I'm sick of being fake. I'm sick of I'm sick of being fake. I'm sick of I'm sick of being Now, if you find yourself on a similar journey and you're looking for someone to help you along the way, you can find Josh at Capitol Hill Therapy in Seattle, Washington. And you can find me right here at infantsonthrones at gmail.com. And if you appreciate the work that I'm doing here, please come and support the podcast on Patreon. And now, this is Infants on Thrones. Baby steps. Who wants someone to preach to? The philosophies of men. I like magical toys. Who wants religion to Mingled with humor. I don't believe in them. There will be many willing to preach to you the philosophies of men mingled with humor. We are evolving. Baby steps. You can buy in this world of money. the good in everything look for the people who will set your soul free it always seems impossible until it's done look for the good in everyone all right josh you said we should just start recording then yeah. Well, you were talking about some really interesting stuff about your week that I just thought if I'm going to be interviewing you, I'd love to start on it. It sounded All right. already rich to me. So, Okay. Well, kick, kick us off because this is going to be the first thing that people hear after whatever introduction I decide to record after I listen to what this conversation is. So it's kind of like an Ouroboros. What is that thing? A snake eating its tail thing? <laughs> <laughs> I've been watching Loki season two, so I'm into this whole time time loop thing right now. But uh, yeah, so so you you had asked me uh, if there was anything really that I wanted any direction for this conversation, and I I kind of don't. I really just want to be open mm -hmm. to it. And you had given me a challenge. I don't know if it was a challenge. Maybe it was it was just like, hey, can I give you a gestalt tool? at the end of our last conversation. The other the other thing I'll say, if you're open to it, is just a reflection on a gestalt technique regarding what you were just saying. Mm -hmm. Are you open to this? Oh, for sure. Okay. The goal is not to get out of your head. Right. The goal is to notice if you're there and share it as you did, and then you're present again. And you're present with me at any moment where it's actually happening. Yeah. And that can keep you in the moment, is not to be in the moment in a certain way, but to honor however you are and however you come into the moment, including when you're in your head. So I've been focusing on that uh, a lot 
this week. And that's that's the point where you said, let's just start recording and get going on this. Yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting to me because I'm here to interview you, at least in part. Um, and so that's for the listeners to know kind of what we're doing today. And the content of the interview is really interesting to me because it does kind of follow a gestalt idea, which is the main goal is for us to show up. And so you said, I want to be an empty vessel and I want to basically sh- practice showing up. Yeah. And so I thought we're already getting into it then because those are the the parameters of this discussion is really empty vessel. Yeah. So for you to yeah. ask me at the beginning of it, like yeah. what direction yeah. it wants me to go, it like takes me from being but, an empty vessel to, to like getting right. into that, like, oh, no, I'm trying to control things. Yeah. And so I'm but, like, OK, yeah. I don't want to control things. Uh, yeah. So I'm turning it over to you, Josh. Yeah. Well, that is the direction that we'll go then is just the idea of noticing ourselves in the moment and, um, kind of noticing one of the things that I, I do that you remind me of when you talk about this is I'll be planning in my head or I'll be thinking about what I'm going to say next, or I'm rehearsing a little bit in my mind. Yeah. And so, before we met, I was kind of doing some of that, but I did come up with something that I, I think it's not exactly the interview portion, but since we're here and I don't know how much anyone has ever maybe done this on the, the episodes and maybe this has happened, but I just wanted to take a moment as part of my check-in of being here with you to say, thank you so much for the podcast. I, that you've, that you ran. I mean, when I was going through my stuff with my faith transition. I don't know if I really ever, we've only talked a handful of times. So I know I have never fully told you like your podcast was a huge, huge support to me during that time. And I appreciate so much that you um, created it. And I wanted to take a moment just to tell you, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. So that's something that I was kind of coming with. And then the other thing was, um, if I just scan myself, what do I notice in the moment? Um, I'm excited for, uh, yeah, some excitement, uh, curiosity, um, also comfortable with this kind of mode because it's very, part of what the gestalt therapy method is all about um, is not necessarily having the agenda isn't in some part not to have one. Yeah. So then I just, I guess I get curious what your, maybe what your check-in is like, what do you notice right now? Well, as, as you were uh, thanking me for the podcast, I just was noticing my own, reaction to it it's hard for me to accept uh accept that kind of uh, recognition and an expression of appreciation i i kind of like shut down mm-hmm. uh with it a little bit and so i just mm-hmm. had to, to kind of like let it in mm-hmm. and um you know i i i get so caught up in just like what you said, rehearsing what's going on in your head, thinking, you know, like ahead of time, it's like this whirlwind of thoughts uh, that is pretty well orchestrated most of the time. So it's not chaotic. It's just constantly 
um, moving, telling me stories about like what's going on or what I could do next or what is this, you know? And so, so planning, like some planning. It might, it might be planning. It might be uh, rehearsing a lot of, you know, like something that happened yesterday that ah, I wish I wouldn't have done it that way. I wish I would have done it this. And so I'm kind of like uh, rehashing it over and over in my mm. head. But anyway, so I, I just been noticing those different uh, loops that keep me thinking instead of feeling um and what am i not feeling and and so i when you were saying that that about the podcast i i it was making me emotional and i'm not mm. comfortable getting emotional like that so <laughs> but i was just allowing myself to 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 uh to feel that mm. well the thing that stands out to me and what you're sharing is kind of catches my attention or i get an appetite for but I don't know, we don't need to get into it here, but it's my curiosity goes to this. And it's kind of the, this again is maybe the gestalt way of of analyzing or being present really to what you're talking about and being in dialogue with you around it um, is this figure that I look at or the the topic of content, we call it a figure, Mm -hmm. is the, the shutdown and that process and the emotions you felt and to describe what you know what is happening to kind of invite yourself to look at that in a open completely suspended empty vessel way to Mm. take it in as novel and and have your own curiosity and to just make contact with what came up and and maybe take some time there would be an invitation of a place you could go so when you say that, are you saying like not trying to explain, not trying to understand it? Like, here's why this is there. Here's what it could mean. Here's what I could do about it. Right, right. But just like recognizing, oh, I, I feel like this kind of constriction in my chest. Well, maybe, maybe that's a physical description. But what I really am envisioning is if we look at it right now as a new novel experience that's happening between you and I. Oh, I see. Then you just notice what you're sensation your sensory experience of this phenomena is and attempt to just take it in as the novel thing that's happening right now and as close to now as possible even so if you kind of remember back or i could say some things again um then you get to have that experience or something's going to happen and you're just being relating to it presently to experience it and if you want you can describe what you notice um this would be the the dialogue about this process that happened where you felt an emotion when i was thanking you and you had a reaction to that are you asking me to do something right now i'm not sure well i'm giving you a a thing you could do which is a gestalt thing which would be to notice what it's like to experience that process and to give your attention to it. And if you want, you could describe what you notice about it. That would be the, the kind of figure of, of exploration is, is just exploring that experience. 
like you would notice what was the emotion? How did you sense the emotion? Where was the emotion? What was it about? At what point um, did the reaction of shutting it down or dismissing it? And how did that happen? And what do you, how does that feel? So are are you asking, are you asking me to just notice it internally silently? Or are you asking yeah. me to share and, with you? Well, both. I'm, okay. And I, and I want to be really respectful and open here that this is kind of vulnerable stuff. It's really a therapeutic yeah. thing that we're doing. And so because of that, and because we're recording this podcast, I want to say we, we, a, you can say, no, we don't have to do that at all. Um, or you could just notice it yourself and share whatever you're open to, which could be nothing. Uh, or you could say no to it. So I'm inviting it, but not wanting to demand it or n- not have you be intentional about that if you choose to do it. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I I can I can edit anything out. Like if, if I say something and then it turns out I don't want it to be uh, published, I can edit that out. Mm-hmm. I, I certainly am aware that, you know, like I have a persona that is, you know, the mic is on persona and a persona that the mic is off persona and that yeah. kind of, but it's kind of like a hyper awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, I, so I can, so, so you want me to, to go back and to, to reflect on, cause that kind of takes me out of the moment where I am now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh-huh. So, so what we could do yeah. if we were going to do this, maybe what we would call a gestalt experiment would be, I would actually just use the words and it's probably, we don't know what's going to happen. So yeah. you could say it feels like a role player feels fake or whatever, but no, no, I it feels could... fun. It's exciting. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> cool. So I can just basically say something about what brought it on and you just relate openly. Like we could maybe call it um, a beginner mindset or the mind of the fool, which knows nothing. Okay. And you just let yourself be present to whatever happens and fully open yourself up to it and explore it and just relate to it. All right. And just whatever it is. And it might be the thing about a Gestalt experiment is you accept three things. This is what Leonard Shaw, my therapist told me, he said, you accept that nothing might happen. Something life-changing and miraculous might happen and anything in between could happen. (laughs) And, and once you accept those three things, then you're ready to start experimenting. Mm-hmm. So I'll just say my part and then you just begin your your noticing journey of wherever you go and we'll share what you share what you feel comfortable sharing. Um and it's yeah, uh I really notice a lot of gratitude in my heart for how much the Infants on Thrones podcast and your work on it impacted me. And I have a lot of um gratitude for how helpful and supportive it was and thank you for that so what happens is the sound of your voice gets a little bit further away almost it's like i i hear it and i hear the words but it's almost like the feeling of the Charlie Brown teacher going wah, 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 and like off in the distance and like where I go, like my focus of attention and I'm sitting here with my eyes closed. So that's part of it too. But my focus of attention went into my chest and it, it was like, I had this image of a really dry sponge that's getting some moisture 
which is, mm -hmm. you know, like this part of me, this need for validation that we talked about a little bit last week, like that I have this need for validation. And that this is, I, I start analyzing myself, but this is what I was doing. I was like feeling like there's this, this dry, uh, sponge like part that's getting, uh, it's getting some moisture and it, it likes the moisture. It wants the moisture, but it doesn't totally trust uh, the, the moisture. And so it kind of keeps the distance mm -hmm. from mm -hmm. the source of it. And that, I, that's, the, that's what gets created in me mm -hmm. or was what created in me when that happened. Yeah. I was surprised because you really responded verbally rather quickly in my opinion and so it made me realize that and then when that was the first thing I noticed and then when you started to talk about what your experience was I realized you were getting clear on something significant to you fairly early when I was talking or already knowing what it was and yeah. it was the um the kind of Charlie Brown want 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 was happening when I was sharing with you yeah do you remember any point with the last words you kind of felt when you were closer to me before I went away, before it kind of zones out? I, I, I can't tell you the exact words. No, it's, it's more of a feeling and a sentiment that I could take a stab in the dark at, um, at what you said, but I don't remember the words specifically. What is, no. what's the feeling and sentiment? The feeling and sentiment was that you really appreciate what uh, I did with the podcast that it was very meaningful mm -hmm. to you mm -hmm. um, and it, it, it touched you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and others, I believe you said others, but I don't remember. Yeah. You said yeah. And then I start to, or want, 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 want. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So if there was significant stuff after that, that, it's one of the reasons why in, I, I've enjoyed podcasting as much as I do, because I have these conversations with people and they're fun and poppy, but a lot of that is because I'm disassociating during it because I'm doing the rehearsing of like, oh, this person said this thing, then I can I can say this in response. And that's, that's funny uh, or that's interesting or that's whatever it is that I'm going for, but it kind of like is pulling me out. And so when I go back and I re-listen to conversations, I hear things that I didn't hear the first time through. And it gives me a more, um, it gives me a different perspective of the experience. So I'm able to experience that, uh, that moment again, <laughs> you know, uh, anyway. What kind of things do you notice when you go back and listen? It depends on the conversation. Like uh, I, I noticed when I was listening back to the, the Mormon cred discussion from like nine and a half years ago, times where I wasn't completely listening to what the other guys were saying, because uh, like I, I was tripped up on my own stuff, mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. but I don't remember this. I don't remember the specifics in that, but mm -hmm. that that's something that I noticed the other day. And so it's, it's on my mind right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm, I'm thinking about, a couple things now that I'm interested in that we could explore again in the gestalt way, it would be, we could stay with our experiment and kind of return back to this event 
of feeling appreciation and gratitude for your work on infants on thrones and how it impacted me and your reaction to that. And the other thing is that you're kind of discussing is this experience of listening to yourself and noticing when you might've been maybe not listening to people as much because you were planning already or, and how that was to just notice some of your own process around your rehearsing and planning and interacting. And in a way, I think, you know, being a more, maybe my meaning making of that, that I'll just share with you Mm -hmm. is the professionalism required to kind of keep a thing moving and your focus on that. um, Also being part of what is also happening, or at least one of the ways that process functions is it's useful in that kind of an event, you know? Um, But yeah, so that's a different thing to explore is kind of noticing how that, and, and, and even your relationship to it, that you did it, you know, what do you, what do you make of that? That's another topic we could go into. Are you, are you asking me to choose? I'd prefer you choose or just note or, or this or this, or notice what it's like to choose because that's even more kind of meta. And in the moment is what's your reaction. And yeah, I'm inviting you to look at what, what's your, the word I would say is your appetite. What's your appetite for one of those? Um, And, or either, or any of it, you know, we could also just see what's the reaction. Well, I I was paying attention to my reaction as you were uh, saying those things. And like, I get, I get impatient really really quickly Mm. with things Mm. um and so i was noticing my own impatience josh of of like um i i feel like i in my mind at least i'm darting from this thing to that thing to this thing to that thing and i'm and i'm trying to to like zoom in on a single thing but what if we what if we just zoom out a little bit and notice the darting yeah right 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 let's let's stay with that let's zoom out because that's what you said you wanted to do and i want to stay with that which is be the empty vessel and be in the moment right and and i'm i'm kind of taking the role of interviewer so i'm not revealing as much of my experience but i can also do that with you but i'm not doing that i'm staying in the kind of exploring your present moment so i just want to own and 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 share that yeah um because that's that's kind of how i'm doing this right now um and i and it's cool because uh, you know when you when you asked me earlier like what would i want to do like yeah i i'd, I'd want to be on the couch like cool you, well, you you're do, on the couch yeah yeah you're on the couch yeah because yeah. that's that's how we're doing it right now because i'm All not right. yeah and i'm taking that position but i can be even more dialogic which is maybe meaning or in the part of the dialogue i can share more of my own experience um if that's ever relevant but yeah i like this mode too because the goal for me was to give give an interview to you okay so the darting is the thing we're talking about in uh as we're arriving so again back to the thing you brought up at the beginning when you're just paying attention to yourself whatever becomes the most dominant thing that takes the stage that's what you want to notice and that's how you remain present it's not about what's on the stage it's your ability to notice it and become present to it and so the most recent thing that's become the central part of what you're doing is noticing a, a process of darting and impatience. Yeah. And I have this deep suspicion that it's uh, a coping strategy of distracting myself that's been like created and well rehearsed over 
a lifetime basically yeah well i mean this is going to get pretty deep i think if we keep going down this rabbit hole <laughs> i just i just i feel i feel it's important to share that you know sure. to to say that to you but um i'm thinking about different things come up to me that i think are relevant here and it's being seen acknowledged connection mm. vulnerability intimacy um and the process you know about that and the way that you essentially i i'm imagining or i'm putting together a theory that this is some it has a function that's important for you to not um i guess i'm wondering what what do you notice about the darting if i don't if i don't name it what happens if you don't do that or what happens if you do what do you gain what do you win by or what do you get by 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 the darting what's the energy there i don't really know no, I'm not totally sure. I uh, th this image that keeps coming up to me is of me being a little kid and uh, hurt, like upset at either my mom or my dad. And and this is this is the image that came to me when you said um, something about uh, being seen, being heard. Mm -hmm. I would I would go and I'd like lock myself in a closet or like hide under a table or you know I'd I'd hide. Mm -hmm. So I I think this is the fight or flight, you know, I I would flee. And yeah. But I would sit there in the darkness and I I can still remember how strong these feelings felt when I was a kid. I'd sit there in the darkness just like wanting my mom to come and find me or my dad to come and find me and then getting angry that they weren't yeah and then at some point i'd get exhausted <laughs> of doing that and i kind of kind of like realized all right i this is stupid that if if i want to be around them why am i going and hiding like why don't i just go and be around them but i think mm -hmm. usually i just go and i trade the smaller closet for a bigger closet <laughs> in, in all different kinds of ways. Yeah. But, but yeah. so I, I think that the distraction serves the same function that the door of a closet or whatever walls of a bigger room would play for me of kind of keeping me in this environment that I've got some, control over i've got some awareness of uh i feel safe here because you know the question that you had if i let down the distractions if there's just kind of like nothing then what happens then there's that fear of uh i don't know i don't know what'll happen in that case but it seems like i should avoid it for some reason it seems uncomfortable mm-hmm mm-hmm Well, I, I feel very impacted by what you shared. Um, I, I, I'm thinking about you, um, especially this idea of trading the smaller closet for the bigger closet, both literally and as a metaphor for um, an attempt to be vulnerable and authentic and maybe even have an intimate connection. I know 
we talked about that last time. Uh, and I'm thinking about this process that you're getting, or at least comes to my mind or the process I see is something happens between you and a parent where they've hurt you or you feel hurt and you're removing yourself and you're trying, hoping that they're going to come and they don't, and you get exhausted and you kind of more or less just stay hidden. And there's something, there's some want, there's some need, there's some fear. Um, and when I hear that process, I also notice a similar past in me, actually, Glenn, that I used to do a very, very similar thing, specifically with my mom, where I would become hurt or have my feelings hurt and I would just go hide in my room. And I would be wishing that she would come to me. And usually she wouldn't. I think maybe once or twice I remember her doing that. And then I remember just sometimes crying and falling asleep or, um, yeah, other moments of of that. And I, I have some awareness about my own process there. But um, maybe I maybe I'll hold off and hear what how that is for you when I share that both a reflection on your process and my experience that's similar. I appreciated hearing it. Um, yeah, I, I, I suspect that it's very common experience that a lot of people have uh, growing up. Maybe everybody. Uh, the response to it is probably uh, different, but, you know, similar things that we kind of do when we get angry and come up against some kind of coping mechanism. So yeah, when, when you, when you mentioned that you had a similar experience, it made me think about the conversation that we had last week and different things that you talked about your upbringing. Uh, some of the things that, mirror and in other ways like i don't know what the term is where it doesn't mirror but it kind of like <laughs> i'll i won't dance around it you, you when you said last week that your uh parents made emotionally immature decisions like your mom moving and uh without really considering the impact that was going to have on your kids that like i was the parent who did that to my kids um, and so that that was a kind of like a little punch in the gut um but not like the first time i've ever been punched there <laughs> you know like i punch myself in that in there all the time yeah. but i i did that in 2016 when i was living in indiana and uh, moved back to arizona um and left my kids there with their mom and uh yeah that that which to go back to that little closet and the metaphor <laughs> that that was me expanding maybe the boundaries of my closet i guess um but still not really having them in having them out so that that relationship with my kids and like looking at my own uh journey of emotional immaturity towards uh greater maturity I really appreciate it from that previous conversation. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's, there, I think I mentioned last time that when, when I, when I read 
body keeps the score and I was taking this trauma class, I started like I was doing really deep introspective looks at myself. And so a lot of what I'm sharing with you here are things that I've been thinking about for months. Yeah. It's just kind of like coming up uh, yeah. in, in these moments. I, I noticed some part of me wants to say something like, um, no, Glenn, you don't understand. My mom did it in a worse way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she did. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> and and, and sure part, that's of, true. part of that is like, um, I think some interest in protecting you and also part of what me believes that I think she probably did actually. And like wanting to be seen in that um, of like, no, dude, you have no idea how fucking chaotic it was with her and how just like yeah. completely bonkers it was and it was just like even for mormon standards it was like okay this isn't even mormon crazy this is my mom and yeah. she's using mormonism as a weapon for her own insanity to further it um and who doesn't yeah what, what guess, mormon doesn't man <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i did yeah. i still yeah. do yeah. And I guess people use ideology to further their own agendas. Um, and so that's a more broad human thing. Um, people grab onto whatever they need if they're drowning, you know? Um, and then I, and then I have this reaction about, you know, the fact that you, you said, you know, I punched myself in the gut that stood out to me, that process. And I felt sad hearing that. Mm. Um, and I got curious about it as well. And, and then also just, the fact that I think that you experience whatever you experience and you think about your kids in those moments, um, it stands out to me as important, I think, for parents to be able to do. And also, um, I it seems like there's something inherent about parenting when you're trying it, when you're, I guess, I don't know, like, it, it seems like most parents who care about the project are always going to have some level of sensitivity to their their mistakes that can be very painful for many parents. I won't say all, but I think many parents can look back at errors they make. And because of the amount of love and care they have for their kids, it's very painful. Right. Um, and so that to me in and of itself represents a kind of symbol for good parenting in part. Whereas a very narcissistic and immature parent may not even become aware that they're having that experience or ever have it. They may yeah. genuinely never have it. They may say things like, well, they were selfish and terrible children. So fuck them, you know? Yeah. I think that my emotional immaturity is a different type of emotional immaturity than, you know, like your mom and dad had, or even than my mom and dad have. Yeah. Uh, it's different than, my ex-wife had, you know, but it's still emotional immaturity and it's the, the, lear the learning, <laughs> the, the recognizing of it. I, I feel like it's been empowering um, because, and, and it's one of the reasons I'm, ex I, I'm so excited by the gestalt part of like recognizing in the moment when I'm experiencing what I'm experiencing. So I, I came up with this formula about two years ago uh, that I wanted to run by you. So I'm glad you asked. <laughs> cool. X plus Y equals Z. 
is my formula for perfection. And I think that that model can be applied to pretty much any situation where X represents my internal nature, my thoughts, all, all of the experiences that I've ever had in the past that I'm carrying with me in my unconscious, like it's all there. Uh, it's been described as samskara in some cultures. It's just, that's my inner unconscious mind. That's X. And Y are all these external forces, whatever's going on in the environment around me. And when X comes into contact with Y, it doesn't even really matter what moment that's happening at, it creates a new thing. It's like you said at the beginning of this, if we could think about you and I having this conversation right now and the reaction that comes from it being a unique and novel thing, that's Mm. Z. And Mm. so X plus Y equals Z all the time. And they're always changing like what they actually look like, but it's always, I'm my internal experience is a result of what's happening outside of me as it's combining and being filtered through all these regions in my brain that are comparing the information and doing the meaning creating and all that stuff. So it comes up to me in the moment. And that is a pretty good indication of what X is and Y is and Z is for like, I can just be in that moment and realize okay, the reason I'm responding right now isn't just because this thing that came up, like I think it's, this is the reason. Like the reason that I think it's the reason is because there's things I don't understand, like way, like tons of things I don't understand that have gone into creating this. And so it frees me of feeling like that's what I have to react to. And that's what I have to respond to. Does that make sense? Well, I have some questions. All right. So, I think I follow it, by the way. Okay. Um, it's kind of this empowering view that you're not just reacting and, and responding to the environment, but there's something about, I'll restate what I heard so you yeah. can clarify yeah. and then I'll ask questions. Yeah. Um, so what I took in was this concept of maybe as much possible human present state awareness reacting and interrelating well relating would be the word i would use uh to the emerging present external reality of whatever and to forces you don't even know and then in that interaction when those two are happening in this present moment it equals perfection yeah yeah perfection the, whatever the result is of the external environment and the internal environment coming together, that it's a perfect result. Like that, that's what happens when this happens. Yeah. So that was actually my first question. So it seems like I understood what you shared at least sufficiently enough for you. Right. Yeah. And so then my question is, what do you mean by perfection? What does that word mean to you? Yeah. 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 That's, that's the important place to double click on that. I think Yep. because by perfection, I don't mean like, the ideal thing that I wish would happen, but isn't what's actually happening. Perfection is what's really going on. What's actually happening. It's, it's like the gears of reality that are turning together that are creating, like, this is what happens when this meets this, not, I wish it was different. And I think a lot of times perfect is used as an unattainable ideal, like, wouldn't it be perfect if if like if we lived in a perfect world as if we don't already live in a perfect world we already live in a perfect world that is in complete homeostasis of all of the forces that are part of yeah. it yeah 
Like yeah, that, that, I think, that holistic principle of the gestalt, if I understand it right. Yeah. What I'm hearing and how I just thought of your formula is it's actually in reverse based on what I hear you saying mm. is you're actually trying to describe what perfection is by the formula. So it, in my opinion, it should be Y equals X plus Z. Perfection mm. is by definition, the moment of, of pureness is always inherently that. Because okay. that's how I'm understanding you describe yeah. it. Yeah. Is is that by being fully present, relating in the environment in this optimal way, that inherently is in itself what is perfection. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that's exactly how I see it, but what would you change? I'm not totally sure. That's the part of I'm sure not sure that I mean, yeah yeah well I get curious like what what because in these moments this say is, say it again say it again yeah so way the way I was seeing it based on your definition of perfection mm -hmm. is you were basically saying there's the inherent emergent property of that itself is perfection and so I just thought what's what Glenn's actually doing is describing what 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 the definition of perfection is and it is this person or being fully in the environment fully in their being fully relating in this kind of most optimal state and there's an inherent perfection in in that that thing it's like more of an inherent trait of it or something yeah um, i think where i think where i'm where, where, where i'm not certain about it is the perfection exists whether the person is recognizing it or not yeah, all moments are already sufficient and perfect in right. themselves is right. what, kind of what you're sharing. Yeah. Even without recognition by the person. Yeah, even without recognition by yeah. it. Um, which, yeah, which is like the reality that the universe is perfect in and of itself exactly as it is yeah. at all times. At, at all times. And it's constantly yeah. changing yeah. and influencing yeah. itself yeah. and each other. And yeah. Yes. Yeah, I see that. Yeah. That, that, that is a better way. Yeah. I like that better. So it's not really about even then the word itself doesn't, the word that comes to mind now is to maybe replace perfection for my way of thinking with mm -hmm. the inherent abundance and sufficiency of the universe is inherent to itself already exactly as it is. What What's the, what, and what's the part that would keep you from using a word like perfect? because I, it's too tied for me with some kind of idealism. Mm. And I think what we're trying to do is break idealism and say reality as it is, is already the ultimate ideal in some sense. Yeah, right. And not to impose human thinking onto it, but to honor it as perfect, even including all of its, uh, what we might call things that are not ideal. Yeah. It has things that we think are not ideal. And in fact, it is sufficient and perfect in that exactly as it is. Which you know, there, can, yeah. <laughs> there's a scripture that always used to tie me up that, that was like, uh, take like it, it was imagine the lilies of the field, you know, they toil mm -hmm. not or whatever. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it, it, and then it says something like take unto you only what you need for the day. And then it says sufficient is the evil. No, what sufficient is the day unto the evil thereof. Yeah. Um, Do you remember su that? Sufficient to the day is the evil thereof, I believe. But I have yeah. never, that has been like this puzzle 
that has been like this little itch inside of my brain ever since I first heard that. But I think this is this is that concept. Well, it it it's it, before that. In this is my recollection. It says, yeah. "Take no thought for the yeah. morrow." Right. Take no thought for the morrow is really the key because it's saying, "Don't worry about tomorrow. It's right. going to be as evil as it's going to be." Yeah. And there's nothing you can do to change whatever the evil of the day will be. So, so that that's the that's the mindfulness scripture. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that's the Sermon on the Mount. That that's actually, in my opinion, epic stuff. Yeah. Like I almost have a paranoid thought sometimes, or I I definitely have a paranoid thought sometimes that the reason religion sucks so bad is because the wisdom contained in the Bible is so useful that people who want to control you made it crappy to drive you away from it because there's so much useful wisdom. <laughs> In especially for me in the New Testament, some of the things that Jesus says, when I reflect on them outside of any other paradigm, I'm like, wow, this is really practical and helpful. And it's 100% mindfulness. It's saying, it's basically saying it's a thesis on not worrying. It's saying, get what you need each day, focus on the day. Don't worry about how beautiful you are. The lilies are beautiful in and of themselves. And Solomon in his glory was not arraigned as such as these. Basically, don't try so hard to look so beautiful. Stay in the moment, connect with what you need. Tomorrow's going to suck as much as it's going to suck. So don't waste your energy thinking about it. Just be in the moment now and you'll get through tomorrow when tomorrow's here. Yeah. Which is in itself a form of beauty. Right. You know, it, it's, it's that like when you think that something has to be different than the way that it is in order to be beautiful. Yeah. It's that, that, that gap between what is and the ideal that I think I'm responding to a lot with these things. Yeah. Jung has a quote on idealism. I'm going to look it up real quick. I love it. Um, But he was, he was against this and it's basically kind of talking about what we're talking about, which is being in the moment, which I guess really is the topic of our discussion today. And we've done different explorations of things, but it's really kind of orbiting around being in the moment and the importance of that. And and idealism is some kind of human perversion on what's supposed to be yeah. like as though we could decide that. Right. So let's see. It's oh, a trap, so isn't is, it? Like yeah. idealism. Yeah. This is, this is uh Jung's quote. It's brilliant. I, I love this. Every form of addiction is bad, no matter whether the narcotic yeah. be alcohol or morphine or idealism or, or that like, distracting thinking pattern like coping strategy that darting back and forth you were calling me out or like observing we were talking about earlier i see that well, as a form of addiction as well well it's it must be somewhere you learned uh that there's an ideal way for you to be and your hope is maybe this is kind of a gestalt idea that there's an introject which is some kind of belief that's undergirds these creative adaptations that we make to survive or get our needs met. Yeah. And when a person's avoiding contact, we could say that person has some belief somewhere that there's things that they ought to be and they ought not to be. And mm -hmm. they're guarding against being seen in a way that doesn't meet up to that ideal. And that's usually um, 
going to promote the creative adaptations that they're implementing the darting away um, to avoid whatever's there. And so if you and I were to explore this more, which is a possibility, or you can punt on this, which is just to look at what's the ideal person or what's this idea? What's, what do you know about what it's like for you? Um, Have you been caught off guard? You know, have people seen things that you didn't want them to see or what do you know about this thing? And underneath this somewhere, somewhere deep down, and we don't want to try to use the mind to get there. There's some version of ideal Glenn that you're probably attached to in some way. Yeah. And, and how much of that, just in your experience from working with people, it, it seems to me that most of what you're talking about are unconscious processes. Like they're, they're things that are happening before I'm aware of what I'm doing. They're, yeah. they're the things that are kind of like creating the impulses that tell me to do what I do, or even the thoughts that I, I think that they're the result of these things that have happened. So that, that sense of uh, unfinished business, right. And, and mm-hmm. uh, that would inform, I, I think this is what you're saying. I, I think you're saying that, that, in my unconscious, there are certain ideals of uh, this is this is how I want to be perceived. It's how I want to be seen. It's how I want to be in the world. And so I'm constantly making choices, these micro choices and adjustments at an unconscious level to show up in certain ways. And you're asking me if I've been aware of times where I've been kind of caught off guard and people have seen things that are that I wouldn't consider ideal. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I'm not super satisfied with that way of going at it because it's not really representative of the Gestalt method in a pure way. Because it's going well, too much like it's in too much to in the mind. story. It's too much yeah. in the mind. It's yeah. it's it's too much of this thing. And so it's it's kind of talking about theory, which is we hold this idea that there is probably an ideal Glenn that you're attached to in some way. You have mm. some kind of relationship to this ideal Glenn. And you are probably doing things that are meaningful to you, but maybe you're not aware of it, but they're significant and important processes that you likely developed probably in very early stages in life about what happens if you're seen as bad or you are, you do not measure up to this ideal or you, you go against this ideal in some way. Um, but that would not be how we would cue an exploration of it. That's just stuff you kind of hold for theory about introjects, which are rigid beliefs about self or the world or others, but usually they just come back to self. Um, And they usually prevent a person from getting into contact with someone else because they distort the boundary between the self and these other things. And so the way that you want to get at it isn't to go into your head in the way that that conversation would take you, but it's rather to go back to what we were discussing earlier, which is just noticing what happens right here, right now with you and me, we already have the most important data, which is your lived experience with me right now. And there may be things that are happening that are positive that we're not opened up to, which is you're actually sharing a lot with me. And we are just getting to know each other, but you've shared a lot about your life with me. 
And so that tells me you are not hiding all of you. And there's also a process of you that is darting around and you want to just stay with your experience and not go into that kind of mind space that the theoretical will take us. We stay in the abundance of the now (laughs) we encounter it right here, right now together of what's happening currently. Yeah. So I've, I've emptied out my vessel. So that's what's happening with me currently. Cool. I'm just listening to you. Yeah. I uh, have in the back of my head that we're on the podcast, so I I can't fully (laughs) let go of that. It's present with me. Yeah. And then there's part of me that's like, I kind of really just want to be here with Glenn. And what I mean by be here is not pay attention to the podcast, not pay attention to what I'm doing in the um, kind of gestalty way and just be more kind of sharing more like an equal, like mm. um, being as equally present and vulnerable. That's kind of what I'm noticing. That's my own desire. And I'm also just appreciating your process as you're exploring this. I I appreciate it in the sense that I see it as a pretty rather somewhat advanced thing to be able to be with yourself in that way. So I have an appreciation for your capacity to notice yourself. Yeah, I appreciate that, Josh. From from the earliest days of Infants on Thrones, and I think even with Mormon Expression, when I started podcasting, because I was coming into podcasting from an experience as a folklorist where I... I viewed myself as a participant observer of Mormon culture and I'd study it. So I was like studying it from the inside and I, I would do these interviews and I would record the interviews and then listen back to the transcripts of the interviews. And it was very similar stuff to what I ended up doing with, with podcasting. So I always kind of viewed myself as a participant observer, ex Mormon going through this thing where I, I didn't have any problem being the subject of study. Uh, you know, like I didn't feel like I've, I've got to <laughs> one, one of the early conflicts that we would have as a group of infants on thrones early on was what do we keep in and what do we edit out? And a lot of the decisions seem to me to be made from this place of, well, there's an ideal self that I don't want people to see if I, since I can't, I want to edit this out. So I appear this way instead of that way kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And there were, you know, like conflicts that some of us would have over like, well, that's stupid. You shouldn't do that. <laughs> uh, that sort of thing. But, but my position through all that and, and where I feel like I am now, I, I I've always been happy to put myself on the, like underneath the microscope of at least what my experience with Mormonism has been, how it's impacted me. And I know it's different than how it's impacted others because I've lived a different life and all that stuff. But so to, to, to do this and to have these vulnerable moments, I think this is what you're talking about when you were saying it seems advanced to you. I, I feel like it's an extension of that graduate study that started with uh with folklore back in the 90s for me really it's been a long time yeah what i yeah the 
kind of ability to notice one's present moment experience is a skill that you develop by doing it. Yeah. And, and people have more ways of doing that when they've done it more and they have kind of a more advanced ability to zoom out and notice their process and recognize that process. Yeah. And that comes in part with practice. Yeah. It does. It does feel like it's been a a really invaluable experience, you know, creating all these podcasts and listening back to them for as long as I've done it for that very reason. Just that. uh, Yeah. Yeah. So where are you at right now, Josh? I was thinking about funny enough. I think a lot about this idea that we're discussing in my personal life, which is kind of essential to the experience of Mormonism of, of leaving it of, of this idea of being seen being in connection to others i was sitting with these concepts i was thinking about how it shows up in my own life i was thinking about ideal josh Mm. and i was thinking about the what happens when two people are doing what we're doing and how when one person demonstrates or shows up in the way that you're showing up the way that it impacts me is something I know is it gives me greater courage and interest in doing the same thing, Hmm. which is to say, to speak to my own direct experiences. I have my own methods of avoidance as well in me about being seen. And, And maybe that's really more so what I was talking about was just my own experience, but I was maybe imagining it happening in you. And maybe, maybe it's correct, but my own thing is I don't want to be excommunicated (laughs) again, in a sense. Um, And I didn't even get excommunicated, but uh, I I just going away from the church, but being cast out from the in-group. And I often feel a lot of um, my own delicateness around saying anything wrong. So it's funny when you were talking about what the guys were doing, I was like, man, that is my dilemma right now. And I don't want to do it. I don't want to fucking do it. I don't want to be in a goddamn closet or box. (laughs) I, I don't want to spend my life feeling like I've been a coward. Mm. I want to be able to face fears and I want to be able to speak whatever the fuck is on my mind. And so I have admiration for you naming your process and looking at yourself as we've been in this dialogue. And it encourages me and it gives me power now to say, I want to, I'm afraid. I feel fear to mm. say the wrong thing. Mm. And I can at least say that because that's a thing that I experience. And, and then without analyzing it or whatever, just share that. So I was kind of in that place. That's where I was kind of going with you. Yeah. I, I, I've been really impressed with the bravery that, you know, like you, you've just told me off air, you're like, yeah, we'll just do, do it. Just fuck it. I'll, I'll lean into that part that, you know, like, yeah, I've got this, this self-censoring thing where I don't want to say something that's going to invalidate my authority in other people's eyes. Yeah. You yeah. Know, like I don't they're... want, yeah. Yes. I don't want, I don't want to become the bad object. I don't want to be whatever, you know, someone thinks is some kind of fucked up thing. And yet I also 
I, I read somewhere, it was like, if you want to be a good person, just start being the person you pretend to be. <laughs> and like really start being the person you pretend to be. That's actually funny. be the person yeah. you pretend to be. And I want to be the person I pretend to be in the sense of, I want to be brave. I want to speak out when there's risk and mm. to own that and to be respectful, but not to deny my own self-generative creativity which emerges from me all the time and is unique to me. And it's like mother's milk. If I hold it in, it hurts. And I'm sick of that. Hmm. It needs to be expressed. It needs to be generative. And I get in touch with the excitement of that and this opportunity and possibility. And it scares the hell out of me. And I want to be, I want to admire the person I'm becoming. And that's part of it is to not stop with leaving Mormonism. I want to leave whatever bullshit I don't agree with. And I want to speak whatever the hell I think whenever I think it, because it's my thought, not because it's right, but because it's true from me. But you're having this X plus Y equals Z experience right now. And you want to be able to share that. Yes. And not have people go, that's not Z. This is Z. Yeah, exactly. This is my Z. Exactly. Like, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, yeah, you, you brought up a lot of that. And I was just thinking of naming processes, being in the present moment can be, it's the most alive thing you can do. And it's scary when there's stakes involved yeah. and, and, and there always is. And so again, I, there's a wish for me that by us doing this, we show people a way to show up authentically and honestly. And we, we kind of have these, you know, experiences and between you and me we have them and then other people get stronger and are able to do more of it themselves yeah yeah there's there's two two images that come to mind in what you're saying one of them is a t-shirt and the other one is a song the the t-shirt i saw when i was a freshman at byu back in the early 90s and it said something like it's better to keep your mouth shut and have everybody assume you're an idiot than open it up and prove them all right. And I went, oh, I like that shirt. That's a that's a good shirt. Unfortunately, I always seem to be the one that opens up my mouth and, you know, like gets shit for it because I get myself in trouble. And uh, so several years after that, when John Mayer's first album came out he's got a song on there called my stupid mouth and he's talking about my stupid mouth that got me in trouble again on a date over dinner and he like goes through the ceiling he's like, that's it i'm never speaking up again i'm never speaking up again and the song ends and then it comes back and one more thing why is it my <laughs> fault you know why i you know so maybe i try too hard uh you know i just want to be liked i want to be funny yeah. so call me captain backfire man i love that song yeah. so that popped up into my head when you were saying that about the not not wanting to show up not wanting to have your stupid mouth ruin things the way that people see you that that uh whatever uh <laughs> oh I'm, I'm trying to think of the word it's escaping me that 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 cash the currency that's it the currency that we create just by the perception that we try to garner of how other people think of us. I, right. Uh, but my, my thing that I got clear on or that became the most fundamental experiential thing in our conversation is I am afraid of saying something taboo hmm. and being yeah. ostracized by society. 
Yeah. Um, and that is what I can share authentically. And then I can grapple with that now and take responsibility for it, which is this. I wish to be brave because that's the badass I want to be, which yeah. means now that I accept that I'm afraid, I can choose to take ownership and responsibility for that fear, which is what I'm doing. And my way of doing that is to say, I'm going to practice being here with you, yeah. saying whatever the fuck I want, because yeah. that's what I want to do. That feels like the cool thing. That to me is what's brave. And that's the value that I'm relating to and finding out about. And it's 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 one that I think is important. And I think that we, the stakes have been raised on that in a way that make a lot of people, there's a need in our culture for people to stand up and do it because there's a lot of people that need the support to find it in themselves from something outside of them that shows them a way to do it so that they can start speaking authentically what their experiences as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I appreciate you sharing that, Josh. I, and in observing my own internal reactions to that, <laughs> I get, I get nervous that, yeah, same. that then I've got like this savior complex, like that I'm being motivated by, Oh, I'll just be the, I'll be the example that shines like a light bulb, not a, that's not stuck under a bush or whatever that thing yeah, was, yeah. you know, like let your yeah. light so shine so that other people who aren't as good as you can someday be <laughs> as good as you. And I'm like, wait, I thought I was running away from that sort of thing. Is that, is that part of this deeply unconscious ideal that's forming in me that like, as long as what I'm doing makes things better for other people, then then I'm worth something, then I'm valuable. Well, that's interesting because I think there's a fundamental kind of, um, there's a pivot here that's a kind of a paradigm shift. Mm. Uh, and it's this shift of between two axes. The one is ideal and the other one is as I am. Mm -hmm. And when it's in service of being ideal, it will always make you come at odds with as you are. And when you reorient the expression of whatever's coming up to be as you are, then it takes its own ownership as a self-oriented thing. And it's no longer the idealism and it's actually the ideal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's the actual thing that is perhaps you can experience it and see what you think about it yourself. And that's the ultimate goal is to be as you are for your own sake. See what you just said right there. I know. I'm going to get it when I listen back to it. But right now, like I can, I can sense that there was like, that was awesome. <laughs> and I caught some of it, but not all of it. Like I couldn't repeat it back to you if you asked me to repeat it back word for word. But yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm vibing with that. I like that yeah. a lot. Let, let me say it in, in some more common language, which is I think superior to being smart or intelligent when you say things or whatever people when they overword it, the, the everyday language way is when it's externalized as an outside ideal, then you remain a slave of it. Mm -hmm. When you, it is an internalized value that you've experienced, explored from within the self, and you can make your own opinion of it, then you are being as you are, and it can become a value-based internal manifestation of, of, a, of a being, being themselves for themselves. And then, and then if you wanted to save someone, you wouldn't be saving them from ideal Glenn saving them. You'd be saving them from idea from Glenn choosing to save them for his own interest. 
and his yeah. own integrated value. And yeah. that's the paradigm difference. Yeah. yeah. It's the self-sovereign authority internalized within versus I'm trying to fit this mold that society or parents or whatever told me I have to be, which is no. the dilemma I find myself in as well, which is like, I'm very well, scared. I'm, I'm more terrified of being the uh, heretic and being cast out. Like that's what I get afraid of. What, what are you, what are you concerned that you'll be cast out of again? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm afraid of some of the more rigid ideological, um, formations of uh like ideology i find myself around in seattle like a lot of the kind of puritanical <laughs> the words become so loaded but like wokeness yeah so like people that have calcified in these really rigid um viewpoints offending them or saying the wrong thing um being branded by them in the language they use an outcast that's that's been my main kind of fear i guess it's a I want to be apolitical in a world where it feels like everyone has become extreme converts of some kind of political. It's like, what did Joseph Smith say? In his time, there was like an extreme uh, religious revival. I feel like we live in that now, but it's a political revival mm. of these hyper cult-like groups that are emerging in ideological uh, rigid formation. And if you offend one of their views they're very happy to make you the bad object and and punish you in whatever way they can so that's where my fears come up i i i probably would have more fears around that if i was more aware of it but yeah. i yeah. i think i've distanced myself from a lot of that i i kind of yeah. like i'm thinking about dave Chappelle. yeah like, is dave yeah. Chappelle an example of that of of someone who's kind of gone against the grain and then been punished. Yeah, the way that he went after certain yeah. communities just in his yeah. comedy act, but still was saying, "Hey, look, I I'm doing this out of love for you guys, not out of hate. You know, like right, but I'm right, not going right. to do this anymore. So I'm I'm putting my comedy career on hold until the environment is one where you know, like I can come on stage and do a routine like this and not have the same kind of fears that you were expressing. I don't know if you saw the the most recent comedy act that he did but he kind of yeah it was about two years ago i think yeah no no i'm familiar with it yeah, yeah. um yeah i mean i guess that's a kind of a, a way of 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 saying it yeah um i it seems like when you mention it i'm kind of thinking in my head i'm like well actually that's a good example of how it didn't really hurt him and he did get backlash mm -hmm. and it didn't do anything it yeah. if anything he's more popular than ever and more people kind of have a willingness to speak on their differences on these topics now as a result. Um, and I think comedians inherently, in order to be good, they tap into the collective unconscious and they mm. bring it into awareness with enough support that you laugh yeah. about the absurdities of society. They're kind of a cultural therapist. Yeah. Um, and so I think they're, the good comedy is always pushing on taboo. Yeah. And kind of leading with where we don't want to, what we don't want to talk about, they force us to talk about, and right. then they help us laugh at it. Yeah. Um, and so I think those are good examples of the way in which he did it did garner backlash, and it didn't affect him. But but um, it, the only reason I brought it up because as as a uh, an illustration of the environment that you're talking about, like yeah, the concern yeah. that you have, well, that yeah, 
if you talk, you might offend and get that. Exactly. Like if I don't prioritize the right things or if I say how I really feel about something, it might not be in the in line with someone's ideology, mm-hmm. um, particularly someone in some political axis that believes in the world in a certain interpretive lens. And so what I'm saying doesn't fit that. And so I just become bad. Yeah. That's that's the the concern that I get afraid about when I when I sit here thinking about these things. And when I go into the psychology around it, um, I think, and we're probably needing to wrap up here in a bit, but okay. Uh, too bad. The, this is fun. I could keep doing oh. <laughs> this forever. Yeah. Well, the things that come up for me is like my own childhood. And of course it's deeply personal. Right. And it's yeah. about love, connection, safety, abandonment wounds. And, yeah. and monetarily it's about if I offend the wrong people, how does that affect my business or how yeah. I, you know, um, how I do this work because, um, I don't ideologically align with everybody. I'm much more interested in individual wellness. I'm not so interested in social movements, although I think we should observe them and analyze them. And I think we should be aware of them. I don't think they should be the fundamental piece of a therapeutic intervention with an individual. I think the individual's experience and their own responsible choice for their life is fundamental to them. Mm -hmm. And so when I stay more strictly, purely that way and not I don't get involved in social agendas as much. I get afraid of, am I wearing the right ribbon or whatever, you know? Or, or just by not putting on any ribbons, you're, yeah, I don't want, and and I'm anti-ribbon to be clear. You know, I, I really think it's a, I didn't become a chef to end world hunger. I didn't become a psychotherapist to make the world a utopia. I don't give a fuck. I don't care. I have no interest in utopia. I only have interest in individual wellness within each person mm-hmm. that I see and I treat to improve their awareness so they can live a more responsible and therefore intentional, meaningful life that's more integrated with what we described as perfect. Yeah. They're connected to their present self in their environment, meeting their needs and thriving and developing in a way that's more authentic and beautiful for them. That's my goal. That's what I feel is precious to me. And in fact, I do want to defend it from people that I think want to turn it into a different agenda, which is to colonize people's minds for different political agendas and make them become activists, which I think is actually a perversion of my art um, when that becomes the the goal. I think that's where I have anxiety because I have anger and I have suppressed it. And it's making me anxious because I, I want to defend the beautiful art of the healing art of psychotherapy and the Gestalt method. I love that, Josh. How much time do you have? We can go longer. Um, okay. I just, I just thought we, I thought the meeting was yeah. Thursday. So I was just wanting to mind. I, oh, I'm very I mindful that. of time, like as a just kind of an yeah. agenda that's always for me. Okay, I appreciate that. Um, I, I just have this one area that I want to explore, which might lead to more, but I, I need to wrap it up too. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, eventually, but I've, I've still got 10, 15 minutes. Uh, so you. You, you reference back to Mormonism as being, you know, like you said, you didn't want to be excommunicated again, even though you weren't excommunicated, but just like symbolically, that was your community. You know, the, the, the threads of connection were intricately interwoven into your life, M- Mormonism, right. and then pulling yourself out of that. You're, you're not in that network anymore, but there's ramifications for it, whatever. So, so with where you are now, in Seattle, in this community, how enmeshed are you in that mental health community? 
in comparison to how enmeshed you were in the Mormon church where you could be excommunicated by right. Yeah. No, that's a, a exactly community right. like that. Yeah. So that's, that's a, yeah. Spot on uh kind of inference there. So when I left Mormonism, it was because of a growing pain of needing more space to be as I am. And Mormonism could not contain that. So it hurt too much to be in that box. And the box I found next was really the Gestalt therapy community. Mm. And now I've seen what appears to me to be some kind of calcification of a rigid ideology that must be adhered to, even yeah. if your own authentic way of relating and understanding the concepts that isn't, isn't uh, within that rigid, rigid framework. And however, right. I do believe in this case that Gestalt psychotherapy and Frederick Pearls and Laura Pearls and uh, Goodman, I can't remember his first name, but he was one of the founders. Uh, their method still remains excellent and worthy of use. However, um, it mirrors now the same experience that I had before, which is I'm deeply in these communities and I hold differences about um, that I've outgrown and I and there's an yeah. ache to express myself okay. and to be fully me in the same way that it doesn't feel it. And it's, and again, this one's more complicated because it's not as clear as it is in Mormonism that this is not something that can fit, but it's looking like there's a, a battle within inside for the heart and soul of this art form, Yeah, which it's starting to, what I would like to do would be to uh, address where it's being constricted by ideological bounds that are preventing it to be operating more beautifully and more expansively and more it, it it ought to be able to look at these things and and see them from the gestalt primary lens and them as secondary but they're becoming primary and gestalt's becoming secondary mm. and so it can't metabolize them well and i think the system of gestalt therapy is being jeopardized and so that's that's uh if it could remain as I imagined it to begin with, then I'd be happy to be there because then I'd just be speaking my mind authentically. But it looks like it's harder and harder to speak authentically within that community if it tramples one of the kind of external sacred tenants that's slowly infecting it and turning it more um, to this kind of rigid structure. So, so do I understand it correctly that you're concerned that you might trample on some of these sacred tenets that are infecting it. Yeah. 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 Like yeah. just in, just in calling it out, even like saying, yeah, here's some of the tenants and there's a little bit too much rigidity around this. We should be more flexible around that. Even that suggestion would get you yeah. blacklisted. Yeah. That's the, that's the concern I have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, 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 and potentially I'm realizing, you know, maybe that's just completely constructed in my mind and my past trauma, but it's also like, you know, um, it's there. It's there. And, and I think like everything, it's the relationship you have to it and how you want to do it and how I want to do some things is I think I have some kind of interesting ideas actually. And I think I've actually metabolized and related to Gestalt therapy in some interesting ways I'd like to really talk about freely. Mm -hmm. And so for me, kind of the way I was telling you at the end of last time is I don't want to get in some kind of direct conflict that feels like a loss itself. 
what I want to do is move on and just start talking about gestalt therapy in the way that I think about it Yeah. without, but then I, as I told you earlier, there's this, I need to defend it and it needs to remain pure or whatever. And that's in me too. You know, I, I had similar, you didn't use the word disillusioned, but you know, it sounds yeah. like a little disillusioned with this, this group that has meant so much to you and still does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it just kind of reminded me of being in academia. You know, I, I referenced when I was in graduate school earlier and I, I was planning on being a professor and there's times where I think, boy, it'd be nice to be a professor now, but I didn't, I didn't want to put myself in that environment. I could see that this is a very highly political environment where if I say the wrong things, like I, I just want to push against things. And the way, the way yeah. that I was learning about tradition and culture and how ephemeral it all is, it's all, it's all man-made, it's all constructed. Uh, and th there are patterns that you can observe of groups of people <laughs> that come together over novel ideas that there's like no borders. And then just like human nature comes in and, you know, yeah. fears or unmet needs or whatever these whatever these coping strategies are seem to drive towards rigidity calcification. And then you get yeah. to this place where, okay, the, the, the closet that you've gone in to hide in has it's expanded small. its borders. <laughs> yeah. It's getting smaller. It's yeah. So, something, well, it, it, it grows and then it gets to a place where it's like, it can't grow any far, uh, further. It's yeah. gotta be. Yeah. And, and, th and then there's like the, the conservative mindset that says, it's going too fast and the liberal mindset that's wanting to you know like be progressive and go further and that kind of push and pull that exists i i think not only socially among a lot of groups of people but even probably within each person yeah and these like <laughs> yeah stuff that's going on but uh yeah that's interesting yeah yeah no it's it's similar oh sorry my dog's barking yeah. um it's similar to uh, the university setting where, and there's a lot of people from, you know, higher university degrees, obviously in our, yeah. in, in the field. And so many PhDs and lots of master's students and there becomes a kind of um, ideology and it becomes somewhat rigid and, and questioning God is heresy again. And you have something like this and it becomes a sin to say certain things. And when that happens, then you develop taboos. And then when those taboos become, you know, when we can't start to talk about that and, and address it or addressing it is made bad itself. Then we have, you know, something I learned from Alan. No, it wasn't, it was Eric from not Alan Watts, but Eric from talks about in the art of loving that one of the tenants that kind of underlies western christianity is the the value of belief itself they value maintaining the belief and once somebody's value their integrated value is to maintain the faith in the yeah, thing right then then you you've foundationally established how to create heresy which is right attacking the belief is now a sin because yeah. the virtue is to maintain the belief and so i see that in this community uh that maintaining the belief is virtuous itself and questioning it or attempting to metabolize it or get outside of it and dissolve it 
in a way that lets it function within Gestalt principles itself is sinful. And then I get careful, withdrawn, scared, worried about, you know, being excommunicated again. And yeah. And it's, um, it's a, a community that I've, that was kind of the replacement in part for, um, my search church. For, yeah, yeah just having and, a community and, well and really my search for an authentic place and and mm. to be honest there's a lot of authenticity that i think it used to be able to have and that's somewhat reduced now but it's still a place where the principles of gestalt therapy are excellent and they do promote the ability to hold authentic intimate powerful life-changing moments and they and the community still does that and i want to enhance that and get things out of the way that i think could be diminishing it in any way and and those are the, the things we're describing like like um the the virtue in maintaining beliefs that yeah. might be political i i, I want to explore this idea of authenticity real quick and then we'll wrap up for today because i think what you're saying with authenticity is that for people to show up authentic, authentically as they are, that is going to result in a lot of diversity. Yes, it will. And so to create a space that accepts that, you need to have like a big tent, right? You need to have like Correct. a very, very flexible tent. And when it gets yes, really calcified and, and rigid, in order to fit in that tent, if you're not yeah. authentically one of those people, then you got to fake it. That's right. Then and, the virtue signaling starts, then all the yeah. stuff happens and all the yeah. things, because you're dealing with the anxiety of I'm going to be cast out. I'm not going to be accepted. Yeah. Yeah. And my thing, if we talk about authenticity, Glenn, is I can't anymore be put up with, <laughs> I can't put up with being a coward anymore. Mm-hmm. I can't cope with abandoning my own original thoughts anymore. I am disgusted by it. I'm Mm. sick of it. I want to be a person I admire and look up to in my actions. And the way that I do that is to stand by my own fucking original thoughts and own them. They Mm. don't have to be right. They don't have to be perfect, but they're mine. And I'm not going to deny them. Mm. And I'm going to speak them. And that's the thing I want to practice. And that's the place i want to be with others and that's a beautiful human act it's accepting your own generative creative process and standing by it and not letting anybody they can have whatever fucking reaction they want but you don't necessarily abandon your own self anymore and hide it and be ashamed or anything i I love that you said that josh i'm going to ask you a really hard question at least it would be a hard question if i was in your shoes if if any of your current clients listen to this podcast and they hear what you just said, do you have any fear that their view of you would shift and change and that they might not have as much respect for you? No, I don't think so. I, okay. I, it's possible, but I don't think my clients would have an issue with it yeah. because I, I think, what can I say about my clients? Generally speaking, I think the relationships that I have with them are one that, they've seen these parts of me anyway, mm-hmm. because I show up in the therapy room authentically. My concern would be more if, uh, yeah, like, um, I don't know. I, I wonder, I think actually one way for me is maybe 
this is in a sense just saying I'm ready to stand by my own original thoughts. Yeah. I'm not really like what I'm actually saying boils down to one thing and it's I'm ready to stand by my own damn thoughts. Yeah. And I'm interested in what you think of them. And I want to have that conversation with anybody. Yeah. And so I don't have fear when I say that, actually. I just say, yeah. I'm showing up, man. I'm showing up. And so when I do that, if you don't like it, let's talk about it. And so anyone it. listening, if anyone's listening, they don't like it, let's talk about it. All right. So I'm going to answer your question about Ideal Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> I, ideal Glenn is a garden where something like this can grow. I just, I, I love that to be able to like nurture that kind of uh, uh, bravery and, and also responsibility, you know, like I'm, I'm just going to show, I might be right. I might be wrong, but I want to express what I'm saying without the fear of being yeah. castigated or excommunicated or or Whatever. with the fear or with the fear, you know, yeah. my, my, my teacher, Bob, who I love Bob Resnick, he would have said, show up with it. Yeah. So I'm saying what I want while I'm afraid of being castigated and kicked out. That's where I'm at. You know, what I'm saying might offend you. What I'm saying might be upsetting. It might not be what you want to hear. I might let you down. In other words, I might be human, but I'm sick of being fake. Mic drop moment. That's <laughs> awesome, man. You can love yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Down the weapons that you use against yourself. You don't need them anymore. Lay down the weapons that you use against the world. We don't need another war. Put down the weapons that you use against yourself. You Hi, this is Hillary. Matthew Ryan. Carol Dashley. And I like to play bingo online while listening to Infants on Thrones. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com. And if you really like what you hear, Give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. I did. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? My worst crime is an inside job. Dark thoughts taking over like an inside mob. I tune in to the scene between the eyes and take a breath. Thank you for listening to Infants on Front. I sit still and watch the thoughts flow past me. Never mind the future, never mind what the past be. I like to jump and let the universe catch me. Three, four, watch the beauty blow past me. I keep my pockets like destination in sight. Keep my actions elevated to compassionate heights. I'm walking past the past.